0: Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the Al Franken podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.
1: An epic matchup
2: between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is gonna be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply.
0: As you know, uh, Walter Mondale died Monday, April 19th. And um, I, I find myself just very sad that uh, Fritz is is no longer here. A truly wonderful man. and. Uh, a very good friend, to all his friends, and to me. He helped me when uh, very few people thought I could win, and he stood by me when uh, some others walked away. Uh, Fritz and I uh, sat down in his office in August of 2019 for this podcast, and I thought I'd I'd replay it for you. Uh, You know, it's funny. um, His Christmas card to me and Franny somehow got... Uh, held up, and we only got it uh, just last week. And in very strong hand, he wrote, Dear Alan Franny, I miss you. Well, uh, I miss him. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Vice President Walter Mondale. Again, this was an interview that we did in his office on August 19th. Of 2019. Did you know that learning actually makes a sound? It's true. Listen. That's the sound of you learning a new language with Babbel. Babbel's tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. For example, let's say you're in Berlin and you want to visit the Fuhrer bunker. It's pretty simple actually. Wo ist der Fuhrer bunker? Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Here is a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash franken. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash franken, Spell B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash franken. Rules and restrictions may apply.
2: Whether you're shipping 100 packages a month or thousands, ShipStation lets you automate routine shipping tasks and easily handle returns. Manage orders, print labels, compare rates, optimize every shipment, and automate delivery notifications with ShipStation's easy-to-use dashboard. Plus, you can access industry-leading discounted rates from USPS, UPS, DHL, and Global Post with discounts up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. Over 130,000 companies have grown their e-commerce businesses with ShipStation, and 98% of companies that stick with ShipStation for a year become customers for life. Optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Use promo code WONDERY today at ShipStation.com to sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com promo code WONDERY.
0: Vice President Walter Mondale uh, is my guest guests here, and we're recording in his office. He works at, uh, at a law firm here in Minneapolis, and uh, so we're doing that. So you may hear interruptions. He uh, is, is just beloved here in Minnesota, and for a reason. He is 91 years old now and has uh, served the state. He served the state for a really long time, and this country. He was in the Senate at a time when it was working better than it does now. Let's let's just put it that way. A lot of it, I think, has to do with what happened during the period that he was there, and specifically the Civil Rights Bill. Before the Civil Rights Bill, we had a Democratic Party that was liberal and progressive and conservative. And the Republican Party was conservative and then it had these Northeastern Republicans who are liberal and progressive. So what happened to get anything done, you had to work across party lines and that doesn't happen now. And, uh, that is a shame. So when, when Fritz Mondale was there, he got stuff done. He got a equal housing bill done, civil rights bill. And of course, uh, vice president of the United States. He really created the modern vice presidency uh, until then. Really, the, the vice president was just there in case the president died. And uh, presidents used to die pretty often. So you had that. I believe he was the first vice president to have his office in the White House, uh, in the West Wing, near the Oval Office, by the Oval Office, and not in the executive office building across the street. And really invented he and Carter worked together. Uh, They did not fire a shot during their four years. You're 91 now?
3: That's the last I heard.
0: You know, I was thinking, run for president. Yes, and it'll just make the other guys look younger.
3: Well, yes, but 90 not too old to run, is it? Uh, how old was Adenauer
0: when he retired? Ninety. Ninety. But, but
3: I, I think he was ninety. But he was he was older.
0: Adenauer was the Chancellor yes. of Germany for yes. years, and. Yes. Uh, Uh, It was uh, was close to 90. It all depends how you're doing when you're 90, isn't it?
3: I have the opinion that maybe it's a little old. Now,
0: uh, you teach the presidency and the law. The Constitution. And the Constitution. uh, At at, the Humphrey School. At the Humphrey School. Uh, Let me ask you something because it came up. Can the president order companies to leave a country like China?
3: I don't think so we're a free society people uh, are free to do what they want say what they want unless they collide with the law and I don't know uh, he's citing some law that doesn't seem to fit at all about uh, extremism or terrorism and when that can be uh, stopped but no I don't think I don't think he's t- making sense here at all
0: I don't think so either and it's not unusual
3: no he does it every day yeah and it's hard to keep track of i used to think that i could but you can't <laughs> every every day is different uh last couple of days he's was said we got to go easier on the china trade thing and then said oh no he's going to be tougher all within 24 hours so be my guest.
0: Yeah, he, he increased the tariffs, gets to the G7, says, someone asked him, do you have regrets? He said, of course I have regrets. I have regrets all the time. And he says, I, I, I'm going to lower them. And then the, um, his team <laughs> yeah. says, no, no, he didn't mean that. And no. then they said he means he's going to raise them. And then Get he said tougher. he's going to raise them. They got the <laughs> message to him. I think a lot of Americans have this experience, which is you try to collect or remember so that you can organize them all the unbelievably horrible things he's done. Yep,
3: yep, yep.
0: and you can't. You and know, I think he, that's part he, of his
3: defense. He he lies all the time. It doesn't seem to bother him. He lies several times a day. He. He has this thing about dividing people, splitting the country up, getting people fighting. That seems to be what he wants to do every day. And uh, he's getting it done. And (laughs) we're all paying a price for it. He's over there in Europe stomping around. You know, those are important meetings. This is where an American leader and all former presidents since that institution was created saw it as a time to try to bring the Western world together and, and demonstrate the United States' ability to listen and work with others. Uh, he has none of that in him, as far as I can see.
0: You two are very different.
3: <laughs> I hope so.
0: I think you're the opposite. Okay, the opposite of black is white. The opposite of Trump, I mean, is there such a thing? But if there is, it's kind of you. You uh, have always worked to bring people together. You've stood for things like civil rights. And I want to talk about the civil rights bill and Hubert Humphrey and your work yes. with with him and with Lyndon Johnson on that bill and bills that followed, like on housing and and such. I was thinking about, the 1964 civil rights bill as a demarcation in our country's politics, because before that, the South had been democratic since the civil war. And once the civil rights bill happened and we got the Southern strategy and we got, it became Republican. That's right. Took a while, but now it's, Just didn't take very long. No. (laughs) No, it didn't. And you were there then. So I want to ask you about how long it took and how quickly you thought things changed. Because before it, you had very conservative Democrats in the South. You had Richard Russell. You had... Yes. And you had very liberal Republicans in the Northeast. That's right. You had Jacob Javits. And uh-huh.
3: We had several of, of those moderates in uh, Northeastern United States, Republicans that, that we worked with on almost everything, including civil rights.
0: So pretty much things got done because you had to work in a bipartisan way, That's, just
3: because of the structure of the two parties. And then we had the votes when issues came up. Uh, In those days, you had to get 67 votes to close off.
0: That's right. They changed the number. 67.
3: So it's almost, they set the rule up so it'd be impossible. And we got enough senators, Republicans and Democrats, to ride over those rules. And uh, it was a great time in, I think, America's history. And I loved it, of course, because there had been... One way or another, two hundred years of paralysis on civil rights, and suddenly the dam broke, and we charted a new course for our country. And I, I think we've been better off as a nation ever since. Not perfect for sure, but progress.
0: Oh, there's no question. I mean, I, I mean, I, it's almost silly to question that. I, I, yeah. I was born in 1951. I, I. Grew up in St. Louis Park, yep. uh, middle class. Dad was a printing salesman. Dad yep. didn't graduate high school. I was the luckiest kid in the world.
3: Yep. Happy guy, weren't you? This good I was dude. very happy.
0: Yep. Our school system, St. Louis Park school system, one of the best in the state, or yep. maybe the best. And I just knew I could do anything. And this is post-World War II. Yep. Who said this? Uh, Rick Nolan, I think. Yeah. He said that uh you had to have a plan to fail mm-hmm. in post World War II. If you're white. If you're white.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And because of the civil rights bill and because of the progress since then, that's less
3: true. Yeah. We 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 um put aside maybe the most disgraceful Element in American life, and that is that we were willing to put blacks and minorities down, we were to put women in, in secondary roles. Uh, we, were, we were willing to let the white males stride around uninterrupted in any way. Being a white male, I know what, what that's like. But um terrible, huh? Well, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that's what you get used to when you're a kid. you Yeah. You're, it goes your way but that's not the way it should be in America we got we should be using everybody listening to everybody male female minority whites to shape our policies and, and bring us together and get things done. It's, it's actually... Now we can do that. We it, haven't done it yet as much as we should, but we can. Do
0: we it. certainly haven't done it yet. There's certainly... The disparities actually are getting wider and wider because uh, uh, people at the very top are getting wealthier. The rest of America is not progressing, and the people at the bottom, it, it's in many ways getting worse. And the legacy of slavery did not go away in yeah. 1865, and, and it I, continued. I think,
3: I think that's right, but this uh, phenomenon of millions of Americans slipping who had been middle-class Americans has been a phenomenon of the last 20 years. We've had it before in American life, terrible thing where people of wealth and influence squeeze everybody out of the uh, mainstream of American life. And that, that's what we've been having, I think.
0: Yeah, and we had that
3: uh, last part of
0: the 19th century, and mm-hmm. we're seeing it now. Talking about 1964 and the Civil Rights Bill and then the Republican Party just becoming the conservative party and are uh, becoming a progressive party. And, man, they, there's no working together. And we have a president who is doing everything he can to double down every chance he can to divide people. And I guess that's his strategy. That's how he won last time. And that well, must be his strategy again because I well, don't see I mean, any It must
3: change. be, but I don't get it. I mean, he, uh, if he wanted to be a successful public leader... He would do just the opposite. He'd try to pull us together. He's it depends good.
0: what you consider success,
3: I yep. guess. Well, I will never accept his model as either being successful or worthy of success or uh, never should be attributed or accepted as... Uh, Morally acceptable. I don't think it is. No.
0: Well, I mean, it obviously is yeah. by people who vote for him. And people say oh, he's just, they all lie. All people in public life lie, all politicians. And he's at least being honest <laughs> about lying. I ran and, into a
3: guy the other day Say, well, at least he's doing what he promised. <laughs> I said, wow. I said, that's exactly what he's not doing. <laughs> yeah. In the campaign, he's forgotten all his promises.
0: He was going to help working people. That's what he was, all the focus was. And that's why he, he won Pennsylvania and mm-hmm. Michigan and yeah. Wisconsin.
3: He thought, here's the guy that'll do it. Yep.
0: And all the people in Washington are self-serving and they're just uh it's all rigged that was that was what we heard in that it's rigged it's rigged it's rigged you're gonna drain the
3: swamp yeah
0: drain the swamp and what we have is what we have is the swamp is is just creatures that we've never seen before doing things that you want to avert your eyes to what they're doing yep and i'm not this isn't about sex
3: Nope. It's about stealing. <laughs> it's, 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 about about, it's about hurting people. It's about gross immorality. In our society, people that work and try surely are owed respect and they're owed a chance to be a part of middle-class America. He's taken that from them. And I don't know what he thinks he's doing, uh, but I am appalled by it.
0: Well, we saw this huge tax cut, mm-hmm. very antithetical to his goals, his stated goals, the announced
3: goals, yeah, announced, yeah.
0: And uh, that's but what he—he
3: he knew what he was doing. This was typical right-wing Republican payoff to the rich. Exactly, we've seen that before. And and
0: now what we are seeing are these enormous deficits. Yep. We're
3: talking about a trillion dollars next year. That's right. Get that, a trillion dollars.
0: Just the deficit next year.
3: Yes. So this society is going to be paying off debt for eons.
0: You know how my Republican colleagues, whenever, when Obama was president, they would all, and you had a piece of legislation, it would always go, what's the pay for?
3: We've heard nothing but debt scares when Democrats want to do something. And along came this massive tax cut bill that you've talked about where all the money goes to the rich. And the Republicans didn't say a thing. They didn't criticize it, didn't talk about deficit scares. If they did, they said, well, this will pay for itself, so you don't have to worry about it. Oh, yeah.
0: When they addressed it, it was dynamic scoring.
3: Yep. And in fact, we've been through this several times. It never pays for itself.
0: Well, they always use dynamic scoring.
3: (laughs) Yes, that's right. And
0: dynamic scoring is this magical thing where if you cut taxes, it'll increase economic activity. And what happened was these corporations bought back their stocks.
3: That's right. They're mm-hmm. stuck, mm-hmm. so and did well by them for themselves, right?
0: You're a history. You're, you study history. Is there a another president we can point to? I don't know all what forty-five. No, pres- no,
3: no. I mean, is we've it, never never had a president. Now, maybe you go back hundred years or more. I'm I'm younger than a hundred years old, otherwise. slightly. Yes. We've always um, believed our public leaders should be honest and law-abiding. and Well, I mean, some and, weren't.
0: Nixon wasn't. Harding wasn't.
3: Yeah, And Nixon got in real trouble because of that. He, well, he, he had to leave. Nixon had good people around him. He had some really able people like Jim Baker and so on. This guy has nobody. He doesn't talk to anybody as far as I can see.
0: No, I mean, I don't want to sing nixon's praises no nope. but he seemed to uh be serious about foreign policy mm-hmm. and and was a disaster in what he did in vietnam and that's i think that humphrey agreed would have uh done it very differently yeah. you oh, saw oh that yeah. very closely did? oh you? yeah
3: yeah humphrey would have gone at it far differently
0: and so he got this this nomination in sixty four to be vice president. You had to handle the Mississippi freedom caucus or delegation. um and that must have been a lot of pressure on you. just why don't why don't we set that up because that was a I
3: like to talk about that because yeah. it's um the one of the things in my long career that uh, I find is subject to uh, criticism and maybe properly so, but we were trying to get through that convention, elect Johnson and Humphrey, so that we could move forward on civil rights. The Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party uh, were made of fine people, but they wanted everything solved right now with no regard for the broader picture. We won. We, We controlled that convention, and then we delivered on what we promised to do. And when the next convention came around, all these Freedom Democrats were sitting in the front row as Democratic Party delegates. Just to frame it for people. Including Fannie Lou Hamer. And so I I think if you give us just a few years to work it out, I think we look pretty good. Just
0: to frame it in 1964, um, basically, the Mississippi Democratic Party didn't allow blacks to vote in
3: the delegation
0: process, right? It was,
3: it was uh, the Democratic Party of Mississippi uh, was devoted to being against civil rights. They had didn't have a single black delegate in, amongst the whites, most of them wouldn't say they'll vote for the Democratic candidate. And they didn't. Carter. One of the reasons Carter became gained stature and could become president was how he uh, managed to defeat Wallace in Florida. In, in the previous four years, Wallace, he did everything he could to cripple the Democratic Party. But uh, Jimmy Carter... Challenged him in Florida in the next primaries and beat him big time. So that people felt good about that. I did.
0: And Carter was the new South. Yeah. Emblematic of the new South. Well, let's talk about your relationship with, uh, with Jimmy Carter. You really, the two of you, took two to do this, invented the modern vice presidency. Mm-hmm. And some modern vice presidents haven't participated in that. I think a Dan Quayle yeah. probably was not uh, George H.W. Bush's closest advisor. No.
3: But I, I think that um, uh, after Carter broke the, the tradition there of just using a vice president's standby equipment, and instead, bringing him in to the complete work of the president himself, locating the vice president in the president's office, that that changed things, not just for us, but here we are 50 years later, and that's still what's happening. I mean, not
0: this, not now. I don't think that, uh, well, Trump is an anomaly in so many ways, but <laughs> yeah. the idea that he is conferring with Pence is ridiculous.
3: Right. Well, here, here's the thing. Pence is, is in the White House. What he's doing there, I don't know. Um, <laughs> they, they, some of, I keep telling them not to just stand behind the president. Go out and do your own thing and help the president, but don't just think that you've got a chore there to be. standing at attention when your president talks. Look at this guy. That's all he does. He walks up behind the president, stands his attention. The president gives these... There's
0: uh, a creepiness well, yeah, to all of it.
3: Yeah, What? what's he thinking? What's he doing?
0: And he contributes to the creepiness, I would say. I think so. Yeah. Uh, Quayle was creepy in his own way, but Trump is creepy in a way where the anxiety level in the country... It has been raised because of this president. Right. And it's not irrational from people. This is people looking at this guy and taking him seriously. You remember, I think Republicans said, don't take him literally take him seriously. What we're taking seriously is this guy is, um, you know, they, there are people who diagnose, I don't believe diagnosing people for, uh, that you you haven't actually talked to and examined his yeah i don't i I hear accepted that. practice, yeah. but Jesus, there's something wrong with him
3: let me say right away, I do not know I'm not saying there is anything, but he 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 is uh breaking all the rules, he doesn't ever um, ponder about what he said two minutes before. He started this whole tweet stuff that is new to him. Just think, running our country, maybe from his bedroom or from a radio room. For or, you can tweet from anywhere. Huh? Yeah.
0: If, if you've got a signal, if you got...
3: Yeah. I, I just don't understand. <laughs> the public doesn't like it.
0: I, I think, on the one hand, you can say that it's not fair to diagnose someone if you haven't talked to them and are a psychiatrist. But people also know what they see.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, after the massacres in uh, Dayton and El Paso, the president gave a speech. He did this speech as it, uh, to me, it was as if it was the first time he had read it. Could be true this is a moment where the president fulfills a role or should fulfill a role that no one else in the country can fill. When there is a tragedy like a massacre, which we see too many times, yep. I felt like he, he has a special obligation to speak to the nation He's the one person who can speak to the nation and make us at least feel like we're a nation that is grieving for all these people and in in, in a way that
3: just reassures people that we're good. And, and that, that we intend to do good. We're going to try to do good.
0: And and that we are human, that we care, we have compassion, we have... we. Grieve. Yes, yes. We grieve. And I saw this speech, and he, it was like his head was on a swivel. Remember, he used to criticize Obama for using a teleprompter, of course. And he, now he uses it all the time. Uh, and he, it was just, you know, I'll go to the left pro- teleprompter for this. Then I'll turn to the right. And I'll just say these words. And someone wrote the words, and I am i don't remember any of the words. But what I do remember was his affect. And to me, you know, if I were to give him advice, it would be read the speech beforehand several times. Absorb it. Rewrite it yourself. So... They're your words, some of them.
3: Well, that makes a lot of sense, but I don't, well, I, I may be wrong, but I don't think he takes advice. No.
0: But is there a difference between taking advice and taking help? I mean, when, when he, when the State of the Union address is not written by Donald Trump. No. I mean, that's clear. So he needs help there. He obviously doesn't need help to go in front of fifteen, twenty thousand people and talk off the top of his head for an hour or an hour and a half, and that's a that's a a, a skill, and that is a skill that got him elected president.
3: That's right. And and although he says uh, outrageous things, he's good at it. Yep, he uh, raises the, these audiences. He gets them excited. He he pumps them up. They He's, laugh at his yeah, jokes? Yep.
0: He's like a comedian who goes in front of a crowd and works them, and he and he listens, and he finds out what hits, what yeah. works. And he uses it. And he uses it. So, mm-hmm. so I'm going to build a wall, and Mexico's going to pay for it, was man. So that he, was... That was... I'm going to put that in. Well, the first time he did it... So he kept doing it. Yep. Yep. And so he shut the government down because yep. that, that, that bit went over. That <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> hunk. Yeah. That's true. I called you his opposite. But in a way, there's some similarities. You grew up very wealthy... <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's true yeah yeah and uh five cents and and then and then took advantage of that wealth by uh cheating on the inheritance of
3: it yeah well if i could just uh, <laughs> emphasize the point you made i grew up in salon and then elmore minnesota these are small towns. I mean, really small, basically farm communities. Uh, and I went through high school in Elmore, and and I loved it. We we did. We were kids. We were in small towns. Perfect. And I, I I'm really glad I grew up there. And then we we were encouraged by our families to not just. Now, your dad
0: is a minister, right?
3: He's a minister, and he had a vision that he should go out and be a minister. And, and he went around. Uh, the Lutherans wouldn't have him because he didn't have the right credentials, didn't have any credentials. Mm-hmm. But the Methodists took him as a kind of a lay pastor. And for most of his career, he, that's what he did. He was a preacher in small rural towns. Along the southern border and over near the near, near Iowa yeah the, the, that southern border and he, he 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 loved doing that
0: but that sounds like a big wealth generator oh
3: <laughs> we, we, we <laughs> doing never, that yeah we, we never had anything, and nobody needed anything. We were just you
0: growing up in a small town yep you
3: we uh, had a we had a they call it, a parsonage. Which is a house provided by the church for the minister, uh, which was not exactly ready for habitation, <laughs> but we so we lived there, and um, I used to be the janitor for the church, and then then I would go to school, and uh, we had a football and a basketball team. You're Crazy Legs, right? Yeah, and we had a track team, and we had. We there wasn't much, but we thought we were pretty good.
0: Uh, let's see. Other ways in which you're opposite. You went to law school.
3: I'm always glad that I became a lawyer. I mean, most people have uh, negative feelings about wa- lawyers, and, and uh, they're not all perfect. But this allowed me to be a public servant and begin with our commitment to the law, to the Constitution. And all through my public life, that was sort of where I'd start things. And that's that's one of the things that really offends me about the current president. He, I don't think he knows a thing about it and wants to know a thing about it. Um, and yet the law, the Constitution, lays down the guidelines for our Sensual behavior as citizens. Wait a minute. Is that what it is? Yes. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. But oh, he, it, he, shoot.
0: I've been... Oh, <laughs> man. I wish I knew that when I was in yeah, the Senate. Yeah, yeah, you
3: should have been thinking about that. Yeah. Well, didn't, did, didn't you find that the law and the Constitution are very important to your service in the Senate?
0: I did, and I was on Judiciary, on yep. the Judiciary Committee. Yep. I was one of yep. the few non-lawyers there. Yep. But... um I felt that I uh, I had some skills that some of my colleagues didn't have.
3: Yeah, and you had some guts. That
0: was um, one of the skills. Yeah, <laughs> but, but
3: I think that in order to be a good public servant, you have to have a good mind, you have to think things through. Then you have to have courage. You have to stand up and um, confront issues. That's what you, you did. You
0: know what you have to do, too? You find issues. And I found issues like mandatory arbitration. That was a battle against large corporations. And I I did that in terms of uh, consolidation of media. And those are some of the fights I picked. But one thing I did was I would meet with my judiciary counsel if there was a hearing the next day at the end of the day before I went home. And they would give me the briefing book. Did you get your binders at the end of the day for I hearings? I don't think we
3: had those. We had some briefing papers, but I don't remember. I used to get the testimony. Yeah.
0: I mean, I'm sure they do it. That's what you do. You yeah. get a binder with the testimony. Yeah, The witnesses are required or told, some don't do this, to have their testimony in so that we can re- take it home and read it. Right. And then I would, they, my staff, We'll have read it, my judiciary staff. And they will tell me what I'm going to read. And they will tell me, they will have fashioned questions. And I'll ask questions about the questions, but I hadn't read the testimony yet. Then I'd go home and I'd read the binder. And then I'd call them like at 10 p.m. And I'd say, what if we did this or this or this? And let's rewrite this this way. Or let's, you know, I noticed something. I noticed something here. In a footnote, this guy says that some study said that heterosexual married couples do better uh, than same-sex couples when it comes to their children's performance in school or something like that, and it cites a study. And so can we look at that? And then they would look at it, and it wouldn't say what the guy said it said. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yep. laughs> and I could bring it there up. And, there you, and there you go. And so you, you do the work. Yeah. That's what we're saying, and right?
3: Because, because you want to. You get into issues. You told that story about uh, the footnote. There was something he said that you thought was wrong, and you wanted to correct it, and you wanted to be, uh, make that a public point in the following day. Yep, and that's that's that's, that's what I <laughs> and that's an do. opportunity. Yeah, you get into things you feel deeply about it and you go for it. Yep.
0: yeah, and I miss that. I miss that. Oh yeah, man, I do. You know, I think there actually also is uh, on judiciary, especially. I felt it, but in other committees too, is having been a performer
3: mm-hmm. helps. Yep.
0: Yep. I mean, I would send my colleagues. Well, one colleague in uh, particular on judiciary questions for Kavanaugh, and Mm -hmm. question, you know, and questions for Barr. He's a beauty. Unbelievable.
3: Yep. Yep. Where'd they find him?
0: He had been attorney general before, and he was some corporate. You know, he Mm -hmm. was making a lot of money, and now he wanted to come in and. Basically, that hearing should have been about the things he said before the report came out. Yeah. And the things he said before the report came out were just lies. And he knew that the American people, no one is going to read a 450-page no. report. They're just not. So he goes there and said, it concluded that the president cooperated with, with the investigation. Yeah. So I just... You know, I like wrote my colleague, uh, I said, just say, just say, okay, he fired <laughs> the first head of the investigation. Right. He then ordered his legal counsel to order the deputy attorney general to fire you. Mm-hmm. This is in testimony to, to talking to Mueller.
3: Right.
0: And then he ordered his legal counsel to write a memo saying that he hadn't told him yeah. to, to do that. And he kept directing uh, Sessions yeah. Yeah. to fire Mueller. Yeah. And he wouldn't submit to interviews. Yeah. The point is, I would have asked, sure. uh, I would have said, the people of Minnesota don't consider firing the first head of the investigation, <laughs> ordering your uh, subordinates... To fire the next head of the investigation to be cooperating.
3: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, this, is, this is frustrating. Yes, it is. <laughs> but I, you're going to find a way of doing it, I think. Yeah.
0: There's a phrase called the wit of the staircase, and it's French. Yeah. And I don't speak French. And I suffer from it all the time. I went, ah, damn, I wish I had said this in the hearing or something. Did you have any of those? in your career
3: oh yeah you know a lot of times you don't have time to other people are speaking you can't get in there sometimes uh you've already made another point and and it's not appropriate for you to try to hog the stage um yeah you often get in a position where you haven't quite Done all you wanted to do. On the or mission.
0: you just don't think of the thing that no, later you think of. That's
3: right. That's all. That's right. That's all we're talking about.
0: Yeah. I remember the first debate against Reagan, uh, your first debate against Reagan yeah. in 84. He started to kind of talk about driving up the Pacific Coast Highway, <laughs> and it kind of wandered nowhere what was the question? Do you
3: remember at all? Well, he, he brought it up. Oh, so he set himself up. This was a standard speech he gave about what should be important to America or to California and what he wanted to put in the memory files. Like a time
0: capsule? Time or? capsule. Okay. That was it. Uh, okay. So 100
3: years from now, this would be him talking to the... So this
0: was the standard speech he had. Yes. Which is, I'm driving down the Pacific yeah, then he, Coast Highway. Yeah, he, then he
3: got in the middle of it and couldn't, couldn't remember. Afterwards, one of the reporters on the panel said, you know, you made a bad mistake here. He said, when when um, Reagan's time was up, you should have said, no, I'm interested in this, and I and I cede I, 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 <laughs> I, I my time to the president. Because he said... He, he didn't know where
0: where he was yeah now did did that did that guy tell you that immediately after Mm -hmm. okay so then he starts the next debate
3: with i'm not going to hold your youth and inexperience.
0: that's right right. and have you ever thought about that moment
3: yes i think about it all the time okay that's why because i thought it was ridiculous because i was 55 i wasn't a baby and he was what seventy or something like that, uh, and I hadn't raised a point, so I I didn't uh, give it the seriousness that. Uh, well, took, everyone
0: took, was wondering after that moment in the first debate, yeah, whether he w- was losing. It. Was losing it. That's right. So, so this they, was they,
3: had, was, they had to find some way of uh, getting back on the program. and confusing that. Yeah, and it was a clever thing, and he handled it very well, but. I didn't recognize how important that was going to be in the rest of the campaign. Because this, this kind of told the public that, yes, the president was uh, with it. Uh, he, he knew what he was doing. and He that, could deliver a line that someone yeah, had and written it, that's for a, him. This was a sense of humor he would used and that he took me out on that issue. Uh, I don't think any of that was true, but that's the way it was taken. The, he was, the, at that point, the oldest president in American history, I believe. And obviously, he was beginning, I think. I th- I, th- I think that um, there was something going on there. I never said that in the campaign because I didn't know and I couldn't prove it. And, but I, I think he was starting to slip.
0: Let's uh, talk about losing or suffering a setback.
3: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: Something I'm kind of sensitive to myself. You're
3: going to be an expert on this. Well.
0: uh, And and resilience. And the bastard came to Minnesota and tried to (laughs) win Minnesota too.
3: Well, that's legal. It's legal, but you know, you'd think. Well, by then he knew he had destroyed me and he was going to win big. And of course he did. Uh, What? What hurt? I guess after the campaign, I would I would sit there and try to figure out what happened. Why couldn't I have thought these things through? Why, why did I get so tired when uh, when these things came up? And and I found that I would I couldn't sleep at night. So I just had a bunch of books next to my bed. And I'd read for three hours or four hours and go take a nap and wake up at four in the morning and start reading again. And for the better part of a month, uh, that's the life I lived. I just couldn't...
0: Just a month. I I just couldn't get... Just a month.
3: Well, it was longer than a month, but the full night deal was was Mm -hmm. a month. And I would say for a couple months after that, I was sleeping a little bit better, but still uh, less than a full night. And boy, did I get tired and uh, disoriented. Mm -hmm. And then slowly I started feeling better, starting to get better sleep, and I I went back uh, to get involved in politics in my own way. I made arrangements to come home, which is what I always wanted to do. And um, so on,
0: and then of course, ambassador to Japan.
3: How long were you in Japan? Just under four years. Yeah, I loved that. Yeah, Joan loved it. Joan
0: pretty much overshadowed you in Japan. Uh, didn't well, she, a lot, in a a lot of
3: a lot of people are saying that today. She was uh, beloved. Yeah, in, no one, and no one said that about me. And I remember we had our farewell reception. About 600 people there and, and uh, at least 400, maybe 500, were there to say goodbye to Joan. <laughs> and the, my staff was there to say goodbye to me.
0: Well, and, and people should understand, listeners should understand, Joan was about the arts.
3: Yes. And, and she, she loved to pot. And the Japanese loved pottery. And wherever she'd go, if they wanted to, she'd sit down and throw pots with them. And they loved that. I mean, that's still hear about that. And she always hands out a little piece of pottery as a gift. She never sold anything. And the, there's a little thing called a guanomi that she would do. And she'd hand it, people love it. I'll bet you. On uh, shelves all over Japan, there's little guanomies.
0: Now, what does a guanomi it's hold? A,
3: it it holds maybe some salt or some pepper it's not very it's not very deep okay and, and it, it,
0: this by the way is an audio medium so when you go this is it's just like this yes
3: it's like this <laughs> can they see it better now yeah what? he he held it closer to the mic ladies and gentlemen <laughs> it's a small thing you said in the notes that you'd like to talk about minnesota yeah what a good state it is um one of the things that's slowly dawning on me as i get into these old years is is indeed what a wonderful state it is i mean a lot of nice people here people are trying to make things work there's a decency to minnesota life uh, when we have an election, more people vote in Minnesota than any mm-hmm. other state in the Union. Uh, we take our politics seriously. Um, we have good office holders. You were an excellent example. Uh, Thank you. Uh, this this uh, governor, Tim Walls and the people in mm-hmm. the state, they're wonderful people. Uh, all across the board, we see that. And... I just think Minnesotans should feel good about that and build on it and continue to try to be the wonderful state that we hope it is. I don't think I can claim to be an expert on much, but I'm an expert on Minnesota. I've been everywhere all the time for all those years in Washington, here and here, wherever. and I've come to really love this state, and i I like being around it, and I like talking to Minnesotans. I love
0: it too, and yeah. Minnesotans for the, the, there's a lot of things that you talked about, including just the the involvement in voting. Really? People yeah. care. there's a thing called Minnesota Nice. now sometimes you know I can be a little passive aggressive <laughs> yeah, <I> know. <laughs> <laughs> you know and yeah, you know yeah, so yeah, you know
3: well. You but, know, we're not, no, but we're not we're not Saps. In other words, if something has to be said, we want to hear it. But
0: this is an unbelievably great place to yeah, live. Yeah, and we also have brought in Hmong refugees. Yep, and we've brought in Somali refugees. Right. And um they are adding so yeah. much to and our and we're state.
3: becoming somewhat different and better, I think, as a result.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I know you gotta go. You gotta do something. So and you don't have to tell us what it is. I don't know.
3: I wanna tell you what it is. Okay. I have um what I call a Mondale lunch every week or every two weeks where I get as many of my kids and grandchildren who will come. And we have a lunch uh, and we talk about things or sometimes we talk about nothing. And it's the high point of my life because it's a way of staying close to my family. I love it.
0: Well, I'm going to keep you from that.
3: Oh, good. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you,
0: Mr. Vice President. I just can't tell you how appreciative I am of your time and your friendship and your counsel and support. You probably love the state because the state loves you.
3: Well, I enjoyed working with you. I, I'm, I'm, I admire the depth and decency of your public service. And uh, as I said to you a lot of time, I hope we can find a way to continue that. Um, you're needed here. Well, and, thank and you. Pe- we'll cut that pe- out. Pe- people want to no, leave it in there. People, <laughs> people want you. Okay.